Live from Studio B in Athens, Ohio, you're listening to Sports Beat on WUB 1340 AM with Caleb McCluskey, Tanner Watts, Darius Sethna, hosted by me, Alex McKayla. This week, we'll be talking about Ohio softball, this year's crazy March Madness, the U.S. men's national team, the poor play from Ohio sports teams, and the departure of one of Ohio's most beloved athletes. So first up, we're going to start with Ohio softball. Um, they played a couple games last week. They had a win and a loss at BG, and then their third one was canceled due to weather. Uh, the team has been, I don't want to say abysmal, but not great. Uh, they have an overall record of 8-16, and 16, so, I mean, that, that is pretty bad. Uh, Tanner, we'll go to you first. What are your thoughts on the team so far? So we have had some great, some good performances, and we've had some bad performances. We just gotta find this a sense of consistency as going going along with these teams. Like for example, the Bowling Green doubleheader, we did great the first game. We were eliminating the bully, we were eliminating the Bowling Green offense. We weren't even allowing them to get past the second base for the first game. And then an amazing walk off single to win the game. Then the very next game, two hours, three hours later, we come out, we have a good performance until the fifth inning, then we absolutely blew it, giving up five straight unanswered runs to lose the game. Then we had the other, the next game canceled due to the weather. So like, we just had to find our consistency and win these series, especially against teams in the MAC, because we currently sit at the seventh seed. And if we're going to look ahead, we have to keep proving it, find that consistency. And yeah. yeah, also Tanner, just to just to point out, you know that they're up three nothing in that second second game of the doubleheader, yeah. and I actually had a chance to watch that game when I was preparing for Newswatch this past Friday. I had the game on in the background, and I thought to myself, man, Ohio is really using that momentum from the walk off winner in the last mm-hmm. game. Looks like they can get two in a row here, and then it just really fell apart in that in that fourth inning giving up three straight runs, what really is awesome about softball is just how fast the momentum can change. Yeah. You know, just like that, and then after the fifth inning, you blink your eyes and Bowling Green's up 5-3. So I just think for Ohio, it's each inning on the defensive side of the ball, you really just have to make sure that you're as focused as possible because the next thing you know, you're up 2 nothing. you're down 4-2 to two after, after an inning going up next time you're batting. Right, mm-hmm. so... Uh, a theme for today's podcast is going to be some of the teams we're talking about blowing leads or not winning close games, letting teams come back. So in terms of the Ohio softball team, it happened for them against um, Buffalo on March 18th and then Friday against Bowling Green. Uh, we were up, the softball team was up, and they gave away the lead and eventually lost. But there is some positives for the softball team. There are four women hitting over uh, 300, so that is a positive to look for on the softball team. Uh, those players have stepped up, and there's been players that have stepped up in each particular game. But overall, uh, softball team, not as good. Uh, anyone have any other thoughts on uh, big game uh, Friday, Saturday, Friday and Saturday, battle of the breaks? Um, yeah. I'll just say this, and Tanner, I'm going to put you on the spot. If this third game did play out, who do you think would win? In the Bowling Green game? Mm-hmm. I think... It could have gone either way. We were eliminating we were eliminating the uh, Bowling Green offense really well up until late in the second doubleheader game, but I get, it just could have had to come down to whose defense would be better and who's hitting the ball a lot more. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. And then looking at their schedule, they play Miami 
in Ohio over the weekend, and it's another Matt games for another few Matt games for him. And I would like to see them at least win one of these. I don't want to have too high of expectations for the softball team right now, but it would be good to see them win. And looking at Miami right now, they um they're not doing like crazy good, but at the same time, it's like we can't just expect like teams to go out and blow other teams out. So, yeah. Yeah, I would uh, add to that, Caleb, what you just said about Miami. They also played, if we want to like compare, they also played Ohio State, and they lost 4-5, to five, so they only lost by one. I, th- I think we lost by, like, four or, or like, five. We lost by five. Yeah, lost by five. They're 13-10 and 10 right now, 8-16, and 16, so obviously looks like they've been playing better softball than our girls. Or, yeah, so, yeah, softball team uh, not looking uh, as good as we'd want them to, but we're going to hope for the best over these next couple games. They've got... One, two, three, four, five games in between April 1st and April 6th. So that's something to look forward to, seeing if they can uh, bounce back and get in the win column a couple times. Uh, on the bright side, they do, after their Miami games, the team will play against Akron for two straight games. And as of right now, the Akron Zips come in with a record of 7-19. and 19. They actually started off their season 0-9, oh and, oh and, uh, Actually, so and these and these were all just in those um you know those, those tournament games to start the season, but still overall two and three in their conference, four and six on the road, but just a seven and nineteen record overall. So but it'll be interesting to see how the Bobcats come in for those matchups against the Zips. Yeah, that's that's uh definitely that's something they can look forward to a team that is either on their level or a little bit better than Tanner. Yeah. So this series coming up against Miami is going to be a huge, absolutely massive for us. Miami's coming in first in the first place in the MAC with sitting at five and zero in the conference. We they have this history uh, all time re- all time record between twenty uh, twenty eleven to t- now is fourteen and fifteen. So if we win at least like two games, which would be absolutely amazing for us, we'd be able to hold that re- uh, hold the uh, record over them since twenty eleven. So and it could be a make or break series for us going down the full, going down the line too. Yeah, Tanner, it's always good to beat Miami in any sport. Obviously, they're our biggest rival here at Ohio University. Beat them in basketball twice, so um, that's good. And, again, transitioning to basketball, an unfortunate transition to basketball, Ohio's beloved and fan favorite Ben Vanderplas has announced he is transferring for his final year. Um, Obviously, this one hurts for all of us, for all of Ohio University, Ohio University basketball fans, everyone that follows the team, uh, it's a big, big loss um, on the on the team in terms of basketball, but honestly, I think it might be even bigger the personality, the leader that we're losing. So, 
if we have to pick a team, there's teams we think he'll look at. What are some of the schools you think are in the running for Ben Vanderplas? Tanner? So I think I think it's come down to either the Wisconsin Badgers or the Virginia Cavaliers. I'm saying I'm saying the Wisconsin Badgers mainly because he's from Wisconsin. He's growing up around Wisconsin sports. So I think he might go back to go back home to play for them. Or he might go play for the Virginia Cavaliers, who I think could be ahead, as he's named after their head coach. His father also played with his with Virginia's head coach back in high school. So his father and Virginia's head coach do have a history together. So he might go go play for him and have that connection there too. Yeah, just uh, looking at Wisconsin's roster right here, uh, Ben Vanderplas always obviously plays the forward position. They got two guys right now uh, in the starting lineup who are juniors and sophomores. So that would be interesting to see if he went there, uh, how they how he would do there and compete with them. Um, if anyone has Virginia's roster, I, I'd like to see if he has anyone to compete with in that starting lineup. That's you know that's a, that's a senior or uh, a senior forward or something like that. Um, yeah, it looks like there's someone on Virginia's roster named Jaden Gardner. Uh, he's a senior forward. So again, maybe he could squeeze in after uh, Gardner if he went to Virginia. Darius, any thoughts on that? Do you think possibly this might this might be a hot take? Because I'm just do I'm just doing some research here while we're all talking. And you probably are gonna gonna hate me for this. How? What if? What if? Just on the, at the top of my head, what if Ben Vanderplas says I'm taking my talents to the University of Akron? No. What do you think? I what do you think? think just hear me shot. out. Just hear me out on this. Possibly. Not only did Akron make the MAC and you know put up, but they put up a solid fight against UCLA. Yeah. Could you imagine, just hear me out on this, roster-wise, you've got Xavier Castaneda coming back, and then you have Ali Ali on your wing. You have a wing, you have a front court of Ali Ali and Ben Vanderplas. I'm sniffing Mac, another MAC championship if you're Akron. Again, that's probably a hot take, but it's po- you have a big three of Castaneda, Ali Ali, and Ben Vanderplas. I... Uh... Are we saying back-to-back I'm gonna, MAC championships if, for Akron? If in some world that would happen, I would say back-to-back. But oh, it's not happening. Yeah, I'm yeah. just I'm yeah. just telling you what if it did happen. It's yeah. a very much a possibility. I think Tanner, you definitely hit the the points with um, Virginia and Wisconsin, especially Wisconsin, being that Vanderplas is from that area. I yeah. could definitely see him going home. But I'm just saying, third possibility could be University of Akron. Another one that came to mind for me was Marquette. I mean, that's also, in Wisconsin, they're also a annual powerhouse school. So I think, but I all think we're kind of in agreement. It's going to be a power five school. It's going to mm-hmm. be a ACC team, Big Ten team, something like that. And uh, he might join the team and not play a lot, but uh, I think we are in agreement. He has the skill set to play at the power five conference mm-hmm. level. But I don't think he's going to Akron. I actually yeah, know. I'm gonna say no way. he's Ain't not no going way. to Akron. Hey, it was it was just a hot take. I was just looking at their just seeing the way they played this year. When you when just when they won the MAC, you see a guy like Ali Aliyah, who I think has so much potential. I think that's that's a team that's probably going to be rec, come to reckon with for the next couple of years for sure. Um, are, is can Ohio compete on that level with the current roster they have and with Ben Vanderplas leaving? 
I don't know. That's probably another topic of debate for another day. But I definitely think Ben Vanderplas has the ability to play at a higher college level, given the fact that he finished, you know, 14 points overall in the se- average 14 points on the season, second second in scoring just behind Mark Sears. Also averaged seven rebounds a game, leader in, in the team in that. So I think he certainly has the ability to play in, you know, an atmosphere like Marquette or Wisconsin or something like that. Yeah, um, continuing on Ben Vanderplas, uh, I got two questions for you guys. One, there is for sure 100% now a starting spot on the uh, starting five. Obviously, Ben Vanderplas would start next year. Obviously, there's a starting spot now. So I got a question. Who do you think that starting starting spot will go to? Obviously, I think we've talked about this before. We know Mark Sears is going to start. We think Ben Rogers is going to start. But there is that another spot now. Uh, so uh, who do you think is going to grab that spot? And the other question is how do you think this affects OU's team mentally? Um, I would probably say that, at least in my opinion, I couldn't tell you specifically who got you make that spot because I don't have a personal opinion on who makes that spot. But I think the coaching staff is going to make a good decision about which I think they should bring a current player into the starting spot because obviously they're going to be looking for high school recruits to come join their team. And I don't think a high schooler is going to just go right into the starting position. But it's obviously going to have to be another forward not somebody specifically like Ben Vanderplas's game, but I would say another forward would be needed on the floor. I just don't know, kind of to go off off that, Caleb, like what other rich other forward we would truly have. Like would we have to start AJ Clayton or Sam Towns? I mean, it's just it's just hard because you know Jason Carter's gone, and then looking at this roster right now, we really don't have another like bona fide forward yeah. in my opinion. So I think you know you with Elmore James coming down here to Athens um for next year is it possible that he might see a starting role and then the Bobcats just play small ball moving Miles Brown up to small forwards I think he's going small ball so I'm not sure about that one that could be a possibility Tanner so some of the names currently on the roster that I think could probably hop into BP spot is IJ Izuma Sam Towns and some of the, some some of you guys are forgetting Dwight Wilson. He was a catalyst on the team last year. Then got hurt. Uh, I think the Creighton game. Then missed all of this year. Yeah, I uh, I was talking to someone about that, and I'm not sure. I don't quote me on this, but I think he's like, is he a fifth year already? So yeah, could he, he could he come back? Yeah, he has a uh, injury year. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so that's a name to look out for. My my bet would be what you the first name you said. My bet would be AJ Azuma, um, and not AJ Clayton, just because I don't know if you guys know this, but he should be a senior this year. He actually foregoed his senior season, and he'll actually be like a freshman. He he'll he'll be a sophomore next year, but the age of a freshman next year because he foregoed his senior season to come play here. So I would say uh, I would I would say AJ Azuma would would put up that forward spot. And then uh, I'm not sure if you guys answered this one. Uh, how is it going to affect the team mentally? Just because obviously everyone knows Ben Vanderplas is the leader of the team. Yeah, they're definitely going to be losing a sense of leadership there because with Jason Carter gone now, BVP gone, there's not really a, like a senior leader on this team besides like Dwight Wilson. 
that they can rely on the most. So our team is to be very young going forward. That we could lose, like we're losing a huge leadership role, and someone's gonna have to fill that. But we just don't know who yet. Dress. You know, this shows me honestly, guys. I think this shows me that this can be another opportunity for Mark Sears to get even better. Obviously, Mark Sears is going to be only a junior next year, but this year with Jason Preston out of the lineup, the pressure for Mark Sears was we need you to take that next step on the court as a scorer, and he did that. Averaged 20 points a game leading leading the team. Averaged almost, what, three three steals per game, or two, two steals a game, my bad. And now I think it's time for Mark Sears to once again take that next leap. So now, yes, you've improved on the court, but now can you improve off the court with your leadership skills and really become that um, all-around player that we're hoping you to be? So I just see it as another opportunity for Mark Sears to get even better than than he is now. And that's a good uh, transition to what I also want to talk about the men's basketball team is Mark Sears um, recently just got nominated for the Lou Henson Award which goes out to the uh, an outstanding player in mid mid major uh, men's basketball. So there's one winner. There's a bunch of finalists. I don't know the number, but uh, looking up on the website, there's a bunch of finalists. And uh, as much as I know, we'd all love to see Mark Sears win it. I really don't think that's going to happen. Couple reasons. Uh, I'd say that. I'd say one, sincere carries on there, and he already won Mac Player of the Year. Uh, Ryan Rollins is on there from Toledo, and then also just bigger names, better players. Max Abrams from Oral Roberts, uh, Darius McGee from Liberty. So do you guys agree with me, or do you think Mark Sears has a shot? Um, Not going to lie, from all those names you just said and like me actually knowing these players, it's – I would say he's a small chance, Alex. I – like, it would be hard for me to put him, like, over Ryan Reynolds or Sincere Carey. And it it's it's hard for me to just say, especially being a student here, it's going to be hard for me to say I'll put Mark Sears over those two. Yeah, I think I, I think you hit it right on the, on the head, Caleb. It's just tough for me when you already have a guy in the MAC who won MAC Player of the Year and it's not named Mark Sears. And then you just add it to this list of what looks like it's almost forty something candidates. Yeah, it's a, it's a big number. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just it just makes it. But I I don't think that should diminish anything Mark Sears has done for this Bobcats team whatsoever. I think just because of the fact you look at those those bigger schools, those higher leagues, it's just tough for MAC players in general to be able to compete with that. Um, no, only about what three four MAC players on this. On, in this list overall. So that just shows you the uphill battle they have to climb from the start. I mean, it, it might be a long shot for Sincere Carey to win this thing. Yeah, you know? I, so, I, I would agree with that. So you, so it's, it's, it's just the, the really the winner of this award, it really is finding a needle in a haystack for sure. Yeah. I mean, these schools are, they're not, they're not tiny, but, I mean, you see on there, there's, there's a player from, from St. Peter's on there who we'll, we'll talk about St. Peter's later.
transition to uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets in the NHL. They are still struggling. We have talked about this for, I think, three weeks now, and the problem is still the same. They cannot close out games. They cannot win games. They can't win an OT, can't win in shootouts. They just, they just can't do it. So um, last night they lost again by one to the Islanders, and then on Saturday they lost by one to the Wild, and on Friday they lost by one to the Jets, and then last Tuesday four point four goal lost to the pe- to the Penguins, and then uh, last Thursday a five goal loss to the Capitals. So Tanner, what 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 is? I mean, we I just said it right there. It, it's closing games, but why why? So a big reason why as as to why it's happening is injuries. Like we've had Boone Jenner, who's probably going to be out out maybe a few more week, a few more days or weeks. Alexander Texier, or however pronounced it, has been on a leave of absence to, for personal reasons for a while now. And Elvis Merzelkins, who just came back from injury, literally just for that Islanders game. Uh, then Max Corp. I think Corposalo, he might be out for the year, I think. And then we also had uh we also had a uh, Zach Rowinski who I think he I think he was out for that last game too. So he's been dealing with an injury. I don't know if he came back from it or not. I wasn't able to watch the game. But we've had a lot of in- issues with injuries over the last few games and that's really affected us. Yeah, looking at the month month of March here. Uh, they've been in five uh, shootout slash overtime situations, and they've lost four of them. The only uh, overtime slash shootout win they have is against the Wild on March 11th in a shootout. But uh, preceding last night's game, uh, they lost an OT, again, as I said, by one to the Jets, by one to the Wild again. So something about the Jackets and just not being able to close games. Caleb, your thoughts? I'm not going to talk much, but... I think for me as a former basketball player and when it came to me and my team closing games, it was making good decisions, not having turnovers, and making good shots. And I haven't watched the Blue Gadget Blue Jackets much, but when it comes to like closing out games and you guys aren't closing out games, you gotta wonder like what's actually going on with this team right now. It's like I like I in the last like thirty seconds you've been talking, Alex, I've heard a lot of losses by one, especially in overtime. As a coaching staff and literally as a team, you gotta wonder like is like something going on or are we just not all on the same page? Yeah, that that does, that's a good point to bring up, Tanner. So like we could kind of say like the Blue Jackets are kind of going through the same situation the Ohio men's Bobcats are out going with right now. As their leader and captain, Boone Jenner has been injured for the last few games, so he's that huge leader piece has been not there for a while. So we have a loss of the leader there, and going down to overtime, it's just that we we've had gotten some unlucky stretches and unlucky breaks. So you're thinking it's leadership, then Tanner? Possib- possibly, but definitely injuries haven't helped us lately either. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. All right. All I have to say is, guys, the Jets won a game. Oh my god! Uh, and I'm uh, just thinking, and I, like I said, I know it's the Winnipeg Jets. Like I, I, okay, I know I was making a New York Jets joke. I know it's the Winnipeg Jets, guys. Uh, I know we're talking about the the NHL. But Tanner, I wanted to ask you this. I'm just looking at these standings right now. See, the Columbus is 
fifth in the Metropolitan Division. 32 wins, 30 losses. What does this team need to do? What should their win total, how many wins do, does this should this team strive for in order to have a chance to get into the playoffs? Like, what do you think that that number is, give or take? So, I, th- I think as of right now, it's do or die for them. Like, they have to win right now and be in a win-now mode. They should be playing as if they're in a game seven every single game now from now on if there were more a shot to the playoffs they're 14 points i think down to the capitals right now they have to if everyone want to try to come back and get into the playoffs they gotta hope the capitals drops a few and columbus gets so hot and maybe gets to the 40 win range if maybe yeah, like 40 win range maybe 45 win range if they're going to want to submit a spot in the playoffs yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, down 15 points, that was one of the things I was going to say. It's they got to win a lot of games. And you don't want to be in a scenario where you have to win a lot and other teams have to lose. You want to be in a scenario where you can control your own destiny. And I think they can, but it's going to take some other stuff happening. So, uh, obviously, we are in the month of March. Month of March. Uh, obviously, we know what that means. March Madness happened throughout the past couple of weeks. Men's and women's tournaments. Um, the OU women's team uh, made the women's uh, NIT, not the big dance, and they lost by 30. We talked about that last week. But in terms of other teams and just March Madness in general, we do have a Blue Blood Final Four for the first time in a while. We have... North Carolina taking on Duke in a great rivalry. And then we have Kansas taking on Villanova. Um, Caleb, you have any opinions on that? I want to see Duke lose. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to be biased. I know it's Coach K's final season, and I would love to see him win the national championship, but I also want to see him lose. I told we need, we need some rebels on I here, right? I told you that Duke was. I told you that Duke was my sleeper team, and look and and look what happened. Oh, I didn't blame you. Like, I mean, could they have lost a Texas Tech? Maybe. Just hand your just hand all your brackets off to me, and I'll take care <laughs> of it. I mean, nobody's bracket is still less yeah. standing. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh. It looks like we're gonna get a great. Great matchup, Duke-North Carolina. That's going to be watched by millions and millions of people. Um, so we'll talk about the Final Four teams for a little bit. Um, obviously, we all now nationally know the name St. Peter's and Doug Eater. So, Tanner, anything else to say on St. Peter's than wow? Yeah, it, they had by far probably the greatest Cinderella story we've ever seen in March Madness history. They... In terms of spending and how much like they spend on the basketball program, versus like other teams, like compare them to UMBC, I they spend less than UMBC spends. So 
in terms of like spending wise, this is by far the biggest upset ever we've had in probably NCAA men's basketball history. Yeah, I, I would honestly agree with that. People will say, you know, 16 versus one, but traditionally Kentucky is a better program than Virginia. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the big thing with St. Peter's is the teams they beat, right? So they mm-hmm. beat Kentucky, obviously no need to say anything else than it's Kentucky. Then they beat Murray State, who had two losses, two losses. And then they beat Purdue, who was one of the favorites to win the whole thing. And they beat a team with Purdue with multiple, multiple superstars, Jaden Ivey, Zach Eady, Travion Williams, all these players. So I think, honestly, after they beat Kentucky, I didn't know how far they'd make it, but I really, really did not think they were going to lose to, or yeah, they were going to beat Purdue. Yeah, I think all of America kind of fell in love with the Peacocks after what's possibly that Purdue loss or Purdue win. Yeah, I just think when you look at, you know, just a small school from Jersey City, New Jersey, here they are going up against teams like you guys mentioned, Purdue, Murray State. But I think we all knew going into that North Carolina Tar Heels game that the Cinderella story had to end. Joe, just the fact that after the first half, the, the score was 38-19 to 19 in favor of North North Carolina. But also, you know, when, when you see a guy from St. Saint Peter's, um, Casey Ndefo, who's up for the Blue Henson Award, that right. just shows you the kind of season they had. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't just him. You, you had um, other guys who really stepped up, um, Matthew Lee, Clarence Rupert. All these guys really had to take it to that next level in their roles. And how about this? They had a, they kept it very competitive in the second half of that UNC game. 31-30 to 30 was the score for the Tar Heels. Yeah. So it was just that first half that really they just got flustered right out of the gates. But they eventually found some composure, but it was all a little too late, losing by 20 in the end. So Obviously, big congrats to St. Peter's. But let's talk about here teams that did not live up to the hype. Obviously, I think the first one that comes to mind for all of us is the University of Kentucky. Just talked about them a little bit. Any other big first, second round exits? I mean, Gonzaga, I, I was, much? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Gonzaga. I mean, but that's a perennial, you know, that happens every year, I feel like. Uh, any other teams that you guys can think of that didn't leave, live up to the hype? Uh, Tennessee is one, definitely. They come out, I was like another huge, probably the second biggest favorite, I think, to win it all. And then they come out and just get lose by, I think, what is it, eight to Michigan yeah. in the second round. Yeah. And I think also, I've got to say, Arizona. Oh, I would agree. You know, one seed, mm-hmm. you're losing two. I did I do like watching the, the Houston Cougars. I think they play with a, a lot of energy. I watched that game they had against Illinois a couple weeks ago. That game was in Pittsburgh. What a fun game that was, just seeing – they, they looked like they were having fun out there, the hustle plays, the shot making. But, I mean, if you're Arizona, you're, Arizona, you're a one seed, you need to beat that, that team. And they lost by double digits. So definitely that's got to be one disappointment for sure. Tanner? Uh, so I, on another like a, kind of a sleeper team, I think pe- pe- many people kind of picked as Murray State, another victim of St. Peter Peacocks. They, they had two losses this year. One of them was a 12-point loss to Auburn. So that was kind of expected, but... I think a lot of people kind of picked them to at least make the Sweet 16, and that just they got bounced out by St. Peter's by 10 points. Speaking of Auburn, second round loss to Miami. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I do think, at least for me personally, I saw that coming. I always thought Auburn was 
very, very overrated. Um, so I kind of saw that coming, but, you know, as you said, I agree with the Arizona one for sure. I thought they were a much better team. And um, I also, I think we, we talked about it last week, two weeks ago. Shane, who's not here today, said that Ohio State would win, and they did. So that that mm-hmm. that's good. But, um, yeah, I think, again, right, right what you said, Auburn, Kentucky, Murray State, all teams like that that did not live up to the hype. Uh, if you guys had to pick a player of the tournament, who would you pick and why? That's a very hard question. That, that, <laughs> That's a very hard question. Tough. I'm going to throw out a name out there. Paulo Bancaro from Duke. He's up there, but I want to say he's probably the great best tournament player in this tournament. If we're going to look at it like that, maybe – I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he's the guard out of Kansas. Mm. O.J. Aljabari yeah, or yeah, something like that. yeah. He's, he's, he's very good. Definitely been tearing up this this tournament. Even Doug Eater from St. Peter's, who was one of the catalysts to the St. Peter's run, or I forget his name, but the also the center for St. Peter's. He had a great tournament defensively. Yeah, he did. Then obviously we can look at the uh, one of the vanilla. I, I, I obviously look at Paul ben, Benchero, Brady Brady Manick. I think I pronounced his name. Yes, right? I, I forgot he has also had a very good tournament this year. He's Probably, I think, one of the catalysts for North Carolina. So, Darius, your opinion? Um, I really like uh, Colin Gillespie out of Villanova. I thought he's had a very strong tournament thus far, given the fact that they're still they're still right in the thick of things in the Final Four. Just this year, averaging about 15 points per game, only averaging a little less than two turnovers, shooting 91% from the free throw line shooting almost 41% from beyond the arc. This guy really is just show, showcasing all of his talents to me, and he's really been that spark plug for, for Villanova. And I think if they really, for them to have any shot of winning, Gillespie has to have a strong night. So right now he's my consideration for top player in the tournament thus far. Yeah, um, I, I think I'm pretty sure he's won Big East Player of the Year back-to-back time, so that obviously is a very good person. To pick, and then last question in terms of March Madness, what are you guys' just quickly championship predictions? What are the two teams that are making it, and then who's winning it? Just real quick. I will have to take North Carolina. I'm gonna have to go Kansas. Like who's winning the last number one seed, and then I got North Carolina winning it all. Tanner, I'm gonna have Kansas Duke with Kansas winning it. I've got Duke Villanova, Duke's winning it. I've got Duke Kansas, Duke winning it. Uh, That wraps up our March Madness segment. And now transitioning to something we have not talked about on the podcast ever uh, until right now, the U.S. men's national team in terms of uh, soccer. Obviously, the World Cup is coming up in just a couple of months. Big, I know a couple of us here are big, big fans of international soccer. Uh, So we'll talk about them for a little bit. Tonight, they do play Costa Rica in a big game. If they do not lose by six, or by, by six, they will qualify for the World Cup after missing last year's, or not last, last uh, World Cup. Uh, Tanner, what are your thoughts for tonight, and what are your thoughts on the team? So, yeah, definitely we're most likely going to qualify for this. Like you said, we can't lose by six, and scoring six in almost any game is very, very difficult to do in, in soccer. 
And for the team, I we have a lot of potential, I think. Like, maybe possibly given ne- the next World Cup, we could probably be like a maybe a quarterfinalist team somewhere around there. Like, most of our guys, top guys are in their teens. Christian Pulisic is only 23 years right. old, and he's he's the best player we've had so far. Yeah. We, uh, sorry. We, uh, going off that Pulisic hat trick last game, uh, his first ever hat trick for USA, two penalties, and then a great touch flicking to the goal. Um, Darius, do you have any thoughts on the U.S. men's national team? Overall, I had a chance to watch a little bit of that game against uh, Panama on Sunday. Dominant. They were move. They were moving the ball. The number of opportunities they were creating. And Panama was a World Cup team back in 2018 and the most recent World Cup. And when I look at this next matchup against Costa Rica, I really expect a win. To be quite honest with you, I don't. There's no way we're losing by six or more. But I'm expecting a win nonetheless. Guys, the last time Costa Rica's soccer team was relevant was in 2014 when they made the quarterfinals and lost on penalty kicks yeah. to the Netherlands. That yeah. was literally the last time I remember hearing about Costa Rica. Yeah. They didn't even qualify for the last World Cup. I mean, they still have some solid players. I think Kaylor Navas was one of the best goalkeepers in that 2014 run. Joel Campbell I like as a forward. Brian Ruiz, who's been the captain for a very long time. Um, I think he's a talented midfielder. But come on, the last time I heard about Costa Rica was when I was 12 and I was watching World Cup soccer in Brazil. <laughs> there is no reason for this U.S. team to lose to Co- Costa Rica. Tanner? Yeah, I'm kind of praying we don't end up like Italy and get our hearts broken because, you know, Italy just kind of lost to North Macedonia, who's one of the worst teams in Europe, at 1-0. Like, I was, I was an embarrassing loss for the, them. The, uh, I think the difference between that and us is they have to put up six, and yeah, North I'm Macedonia just... had to put up one. And you're right. But I think, like, you know, losing by six in soccer is like – that's like losing by literally, like, 60 points in football yeah, or something crazy like that. So it, the, the odds of that happening are very low, and I think these U.S. men's national players want it bad. Um, do we give a prediction what how far they're going to make it this year? Anyone have any thoughts on that? Uh, we could. Pro- I think we'll make it out of the group stages, maybe to the round. At mo- I, the most I'd like to see it's, it's like the round of thirty-two. That would be great for us, especially going forward too. I I I think I I think if we play our best, if we play our best, we could make the round of sixteen. Darius. No, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think just the how young this team is, where they are right now. I don't think quarterfinals is is really the the bet is the highest we can go just with those power all those powerhouse teams in Europe you talk about those teams in South America as well I think it's just going to be hard for us to beat those cream of the crop teams so I absolutely think round of 16 is uh the ceiling here for the U.S. in the most recent in this next World Cup yeah we're I know we're all optimistic here but as you said there are those cream of the crop teams we can't get overly too optimistic you are going to be playing teams like England, like France, like Brazil, Argentina, Germany, all those teams that are just on paper um, better than the U.S. So if we can make the round of 16 this year, I I think that's considered a success and a great start for uh, next year's World Cup.
So that is uh, a good thing to look forward to later in 2022. Transitioning now to the NBA, again, an unwritten rule on this podcast is if we talk Cavs, the first voice you will hear is Darius. So, Darius, Cavs now officially in the running for a play-in game. Another big thing, Evan Mobley went down Monday night. What are your thoughts on the Cavs? Yeah, thanks, Alex. It's just... I, I really don't know what, what to think anymore, to be quite honest with you. I, I'm I'm glad we're now picking this time of the year to start getting injured. But, you know, obviously they can't help this. I'm not, you know, injuries is something you really can't joke about. But I just think losing Evan Mobley right now, very, very tough, especially in this look at the Cavs' upcoming schedule, guys. Tonight's the first night of a back-to-back. They played Dallas at home, who just ramrodded the Lakers last night. And then they're playing Atlanta on the road tomorrow. And I know a lot of the people I've been talking to are saying, oh, well, they should be able to win that Hawks game. Well, we don't know if Evan Mobley's playing. Colin Sexton's not playing. Um, Karis LeVert needs to step up. So Trey Young can drop, you know, 40 points, and the Hawks can end up end up winners. And Trey Young can drop 40, get some lobs up to Clint Capella, and, and next thing you know, Hawks are winning that game. Right now, guys, if the playoffs play in tournament started today, the Cavs are taking on the Nets in the seven-eight matchup. That's a boom. It would be. Yeah. It would now. Granted, it would be at home. It would be in Cleveland. But at that point, when you're going up against Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and possibly Ben Simmons, a back hurt Ben Simmons, a back hurt Ben Simmons, without your your top guys. Now Jared Allen is in the process of coming back. And I think Darius Garland's going to obviously put up fantastic numbers. I know we're going to talk about him later in the show as well. But, guys, I'm losing faith, and I'm losing faith quick. They need to turn – this back-to-back is critical for them. Caleb? Um, I'll add on a little bit to what Darius has been crucially saying about his Cavaliers. But in the last 10 games, they are 4-6, and six, and they just won recently. Darius, who was that last game that they played against? The Magic. Yeah. Are you gonna do? You're really gonna do that to me, really? The magic, <laughs> the magic. I never even I never even praised them for beating the magic. Good, because praising them for beating the magic is just not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. But I think that here's the thing: if as the rising the playoffs happen today, I would need to see Cleveland do a bunch of traps on Kevin Durant for the whole game. Man. Like, make Kevin Durant pass the ball to his teammates. Make Andre Drummond have a double-double. I don't care if he has a 20-10 and 10 and then Seth Curry goes off for 20. Don't let Kevin Durant shoot the ball. Yeah, that's, And that's, you may win this game. Well, then, then you, you don't forget about Kyrie either because Kyrie's back now. And he can basically mm-hmm. do whatever he wants. So, you're gonna let Ky- so now you're going to let Kyrie Irving in a one-on-one situation. I mean, that stuff. Because you're probably going to put a Coro on Durant with a double team. So who's guarding Kyrie? I was gonna add, yeah. I, I'm not saying I'm fully confident in 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 not in locking up one of them, but you know, when you have Isaac Okoro, he's a very, very good defensive player. So when you have Isaac Okoro, you're gonna you're gonna expect that they're not gonna play as well because that's his thing. He was drafted for defense at right. Auburn, it was defense, he's defense. So he I think he's not gonna lock up one of them, right? You can't lock most likely two Hall of Famers, at least one for sure. Right. So we have a Coro, so that's going to help. But, again, against the Nets, that, that, that's just unlucky because of how bad they fell and then how good they are now. So Darius Garland for most food player. 
that's it. Anyone agree or disagree? I agree with that totally. For most improved? Yes. Yeah. The only other player I think could be in that race is Jaw, but that's what I was thinking. Darius Garland has taken so such a far leap you from think, where he was, and he's still playing too. Quest, yeah. do you think Desmond Bain could also because the Grizzlies are mm-hmm. eighteen and two without without Jaw? Not saying that they're better without Jaw or anything like that. I couldn't, I, I couldn't see that. It's just Jaw has compared to what I saw last year before the play-in game against Golden State to now. Nobody in the world in their right mind saw this improvement coming. Yeah. I didn't see it. Like, I don't even think the Grizzlies coaching staff could have seen this coming. I I agree with you, Caleb, but I think you are right, too, when you said it. I think Darius Garland edges him out just a bit just because. He's still playing. He's he's still playing. And also, um, Ja had, like, insane expectations for this season, right? Everyone knew who he is, how good he was. Mm Mm-hmm. No one expected Darius Garland to drop double-digit assists in pretty much almost every game. You know, I think he's had a couple where he's had like 18 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Darius? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that part, Alex. You just look at the context at the beginning of the season. Did we think Memphis was going to be the second seed in the West coming into the year? Probably not. Did we think that they were going to be a playoff team oh, at yeah, the beginning of the year? Absolutely. Sure. Did we think, let's be honest here, that the Cleveland Cavaliers would be in the seventh seed in the East come March 30th. I thought they were going to be last again, Probably not going to lie. Not. They were yeah. projected to win, what, 26 games yeah. this year? Yeah. So I just look at that overall context with the team, and because of that, I would probably, and the fact that Darius Garland has a lot more load to carry. The Grizzlies without Jaw are a better team than the Cavs without Darius Garland. Yeah, that, that is true. So I, I, look at, I look at that aspect, and if that's the case, I would definitely have to say Darius Garland would be my candidate for most improved player. Yeah, and then who mentioned the 18-2 and two without jaw? I'm, okay. And basically it's – that's scary to me. Yeah, that, that's 18-2 that's and two without your all-star player. Just blew out Golden State the other night. Exactly, and that that's real scary. And if – because it's probably going to be – it's between Minnesota and the Clippers. With Paul George being back, I could honestly see the Clippers with the upset in the playing game. Not going to lie. I think, they, I think they should beat Minnesota if they play in the playing game. Yeah, so uh, one more thing for the NBA here. Obviously, um, the Celtics were in the 11th seed at one point, and now they're still in the first as of Wednesday, I think they March dropped 30th. Third. They dropped because oh, okay. the Heat won last night Anyways, well. Anyways, they still crazy worst to first run. Very impressive for them. And then the last thing I want to say is the Los Angeles Lakers, probably the most popular team um, in the NBA, are out of the playing tournament. As of right now, they would not make the playoffs. There's so many different answers for why, but Tanner, do you have an idea? I think it's because LeBron James gets literally no help. Russ has been struggling this entire year. He's having a, it's probably having his worst year he's had so far. And then Anthony Davis has missed almost forty games this year. Hasn't also helped, leaving his number two option to be like, I don't know, uh, has he's left his number two option wide open, and he's LeBron James is carrying that team on his back. There's so much that a 37-year-old LeBron can do. Yeah. Um, he needed to pass the torch this year. 
Yeah, and it, it just couldn't happen. Um, If anyone has anything else to say about NBA, that's fine. But I was going to quickly uh, talk about our show NFL real quick. Free agency still going on, a lot of big acquisitions. But there's something I kind of want to say, something a little unique. Uh, I talked about it before the show with you guys before we were on air. The Buffalo Bills announced a new stadium, right? $1.4 billion. Billion? Yeah. Yep. And Billion, okay. And get this, Caleb, it's not a dome in Buffalo, New York. Hey, you Buffalo Bill fans! If you have seasonal tickets, I feel sorry for you. I just want to—I don't—I don't know if you want to talk about that, but I just thought that was funny. Like, why you wouldn't do that in Buffalo, New York? Hey, you know, maybe for Bills fans, maybe the best place to watch the games this year is in their home yeah, with seriously. the roof. Um, but the one thing I did want to talk about is a uh, big, big change—the uh, new overtime rule. Each team gets the ball. Um, Tanner. Yeah, so both teams will be able to have a chance with the ball this overtime. Then, if no one, if neither team fails to score, it'll come down to a sudden death. But if a, if a safety were to happen, that will automatically end the game. So I like this overtime rule going forward too, because it gives both teams in the postseason a fair chance. So we don't see a coin toss deciding a game because literally in the playoffs and I think in NFL history. The teams who won the coin toss and got the ball first were ten and two yeah. in the postseason. Yeah, and it just happened this year, Chiefs. Yeah, Bills. Um, and I think the the Bills actually like were one of the. Um, yeah, that that game was literally insane to watch. They were one of the supporters of of the new of the new rule. Yeah, and then the last thing I want to say about NFL is obviously big big trade Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins. Crazy trade, five picks, a first, a second, uh, a fourth, two fourths, and a sixth. Uh, Do we think the Dolphins uh, got a lot better? Do we think the Chiefs got a lot worse? I'm going to let someone else go first, but I have my opinion. To me, I really think it depends on where Tyron Matthew goes. If he decides to leave Kansas City, there are definitely some, some roadblocks for sure for the Chiefs. I think overall Miami did get a, get a little bit better for sure. You have one of the best receivers in all of the NFL. With a quarterback that I think is going to come into this season with a chip on his shoulder, I think Tua Tagovailoa has heard a lot of the chatter about, you know, he can't do this, he can't do that, he can't lead a franchise. But I think now with the, a weapon, with the talent of Tyreek Hill, Dolphins are definitely going to make some noise. Do I think they can surpass a team like the Patriots or the Bills? I don't think so. So I still see them finishing in that third spot in the AFC East. But I think they're going to definitely have a better record or than what they go nine, nine and nine and eight yeah. last year after that terrible start. So, so I, I actually um, I kind of agree with you and also disagree with you. I would say that honestly, I think this was a win for the Chiefs. I, I really think that you get five picks. Um, you can use your first-round pick on a wide receiver. They got Juju Smith-Schuster, a great wide receiver two, a wide receiver three. And then, you know, 
we know Tua Tagovailoa doesn't have the biggest arm. So with him, Tyreek Hill, um, Devontae Parker, and then Jalen Waddle, we don't really know. Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, definitions of deep threats. So we don't know how that's going to work if he doesn't have a great big arm. But, you know, if, if the Dolphins can scheme them correctly on, you know, crossing routes, uh, screens, stuff like that, it could work. Tanner? So, yeah, guys, I completely disagree with you. I think the Dolphins are finishing second. <laughs> Over the, the Patriots have made no moves this offseason. They've gotten worse by losing one of the top cornerbacks in J.C. Jackson. They've brought in no help from uh, – from the offensive line and weapons-wise for Mac Jones. But the only thing that's going to carry them is Mac Jones and Bill Belichick. The Dolphins got That's what carried them last year. Yeah. That like, is true. That's the Dolphins true. got a lot better with Tyreek Hill. Like, there's going to be no replacing him, I, I think, in this draft either, too. You know, it's such a stack to draft for the wide receiver because Tyreek sells speed. He, he's a once a probably a generation player we're going to see because he is that fast and is that good with the run after catch. The Chiefs, they've gotten a lot worse this offseason, I think, too. He's obviously losing Tyreek. Ty- they're probably going to lose on, out on uh, Tyron Matthew. They've made a few additions with Juju Smith-Schuster, but that's that's no Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman, who their wide receiver core got depleted after the uh, after this offseason. So th- there is a chance that the a very real chance the Chiefs finish third in the division, too. Yeah, that, that AFC West is definitely the best division in football now. But, you know, you have Patrick Mahomes, you have you have him, and you have Andy Reid. We'll see what the Chiefs can do. I do think this, this puts a stall in their quote-unquote dynasty that some people were talking about. Um, so that that's definitely a big, big thing in the NFL. That was uh, Alex McCalick, Kayla McCluskey, Tanner Watts, Dariah Sufna, Taylor Burnett is our editor and technical assistant. You can catch us on Thursdays at 9 p.m. on WUB 1340 a.m. and online at WOUB.org, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Join us next week to hear about the final March Madness Championship and the U.S. Men's National Team.